uh, you know what we'll do at that point. We'll go out to our windows to clap in association and appreciation of all of those essential workers out there who are keep doing the job that maintains some level of normalcy during this time of social distancing. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. It's 6 p.m. Now stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News coming up. Good evening. In the news tonight, President Trump urges the nation's governors to seek retribution against Black Lives Matter protesters. Governor Cuomo has promised to support the repeal of a state law that conceals the identity of cops accused of misconduct. Several New York City politicians announced this weekend they were breaking ties with police unions and giving their campaign contributions to groups aligned with the protesters. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of The Independent, and this is the WBAI Evening News for Monday, June 1st, 2020. The protests over the videotaped police killing of George Floyd that have roiled the United States for the past six days are expected to continue in cities across the country tonight. At this very moment, protesters are heading toward the Brooklyn home of Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. We will hear from one of those protesters later in the show. Earlier today, President Donald Trump held a phone call with the nation's governors. In the call, Trump told the governors they must, quote, dominate the protesters who he described as terrorists and urged them to seek, quote, retribution against Black Lives Matter demonstrators, some of whom have clashed with police, burned cop cars, and looted commercial storefronts. Trump's call for more police violence came as authorities in Louisville, Kentucky, announced that National Guard troops had shot and killed a protester last night. Protesters in Louisville have been demanding justice not only for George Floyd, but for Breonna Taylor, a 26-year-old African-American emergency medic who was shot and killed on March 13 in her own apartment by Louisville police. The protests have erupted in 140 cities and towns across the country, according to the New York Times, with governors now deploying National Guard troops in more than a dozen states. On Saturday night, African-American philosopher, author, and activist Cornel West told CNN's Anderson Cooper that the United States was a, quote, failed social experiment. How do we keep alive moral, spiritual standards, keep alive Stand in contact with the humanity of all of us across the board, but recognizing we're living in a moment of massive economic, capitalist capitalist economy, failure when it comes to delivering the needs. The nation state, failure to to protect. Critical criminal justice system, failure to be fair, you see. And and, and the only only response we have is, is Samuel Beckett, my brother. Try again, fail again, fail better. Here in New York City, tens of thousands of protesters turned out over the weekend to demand justice for George Floyd and an end to repressive policing that is common to predominantly people of color communities. The Black Lives Matter protests here in New York sprawled across the five boroughs this weekend. The NYPD reports that hundreds of arrests have been made. 
there were numerous incidents of police manhandling and pepper spray nonviolent demonstrators. State Senator Zellner Myrie of Central Brooklyn was detained in handcuffs at one point Friday evening while trying to keep the peace at a rally outside the Barclays Center in downtown Brooklyn. In another incident on Saturday night, a police van charged directly into a crowd of scores of people who had blocked its path. Journalists have also been under attack, including a contributor to The Independent who was jumped by eight police officers while covering a protest in Manhattan on Saturday night. She banged her head on the pavement during the incident and suffered multiple bruises on her arms and legs. She has since returned to the field to cover the protests. On Sunday, Mayor Bill de Blasio commended the work of the NYPD. And we saw tremendous restraint overall from the NYPD. There are always going to be some incidents we don't like, and I'm going to speak about that as well. But when you composite the whole day, thousands upon thousands of officers in ever-changing situations, I saw a lot of restraint, restraint under very, very difficult circumstances. And I'm going to keep saying to anyone who is protesting for change, do not take your anger out at the individual officer in front of you, that man or woman who is simply trying to keep the peace. The lack of police accountability for their misdeeds has been a driving force behind Black Lives Matter protests since they emerged in Ferguson, Missouri, six years ago. Here in New York City, activists have long been stymied by 50A, a state law that forbids the city to release the disciplinary records of police officers who have been accused of misconduct. On Sunday, Governor Andrew Cuomo announced he would support the repeal of 50A. If a police officer is accused of wrongdoing and is being investigated, release their disciplinary records so people can see what the prior acts of that police officer was. Pat Lynch, head of the largest of the city's five police unions, tweeted that repealing 50A would put the lives of individual police officers in danger. We will discuss the push to repeal 50A later in the show. Governor Cuomo has long been close with police unions, as have many other New York politicians. That alliance is starting to fracture. Over the weekend, five New York City elected officials announced they were donating contributions they had received from police unions to bail funds set up for arrested protesters. The elected officials who made the pivot include... Queen's Assemblywoman Aravella Samotis, who handed over $5,500 in police union contributions. Samotis is facing a tough primary challenge from Democratic Socialist Zoran Mamdani, who has denounced her ties to the police unions. Queen's State Senator Michael Giannaris forked over more than $16,000 in police union donations he has received. Giannaris has swung to the left on a number of issues over the past couple of years since Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez defeated Queens Party boss Joe Crowley in a congressional primary. But until this weekend, he had not broken his ties to the police unions. When we come back after the break, we'll talk more about the protests and the future of policing with a professor at the City University of New York who has written a book called The End of Policing.
That was Hand-Painted Banners, an alternate version of the National Anthem written by Ellen Davidson and Tarek Koff and performed by the Veterans for Peace Choir. You're listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website, now in its 20th year of publishing. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. You can find all our latest coverage at independent.org, I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. Now, a quick follow-up to our headlines. The name of the Louisville man who was shot and killed by the National Guard last night is David McAtee. I didn't have that name at the time we recorded the headlines. But McAtee, 53, was the owner of a, owner of a popular barbecue restaurant in West Louisville, Kentucky Governor Steve Bashir has promised a thorough investigation. However, this afternoon, uh, word leaked that there was actually no body cam uh, footage uh, of the time when the shooting happened. So it remains to be seen how that inv- investigation will play out. Now, real quick, WBAI is currently in the middle of a very important fu- fund drive. I'll share information about how you can help keep this radio station on the air a little later in the show. So please have pen and paper ready to go. And now we turn to our first segment. As protests over the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police continue to erupt across the country and around the world, we are going we are going to look at the prospects for police reform and whether that's enough or if we need a full overhaul of policing in this country. Joining us this evening is Alex Vitali, a professor of sociology at Brooklyn College and author of The End of Policing. Alex has been a contributing writer for The Independent since 2012. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. You bet. It's great to have you with us. Uh, First of all, before we get into uh, some of the things you've written in your book and talked about elsewhere, what's your your assessment of the police performance uh, here in New York City and around the country over the past week? Well, I think that it's been pretty abysmal that I've seen just some horrific images, the the beatings that were meted out at the Barclays Center, police vehicles driving into standing protesters on Flatbush Avenue, uh, just this kind of zero tolerance attitude that has led to these dramatic escalations in in police tactics. Right. And uh, can you talk about how the police forces around the country have been increasingly militarized over the past 10 or 20 years? Well, it's certainly true that that really beginning in the 90s, we've seen this dramatic expansion in federal support and, and local and state support for the formation of all kinds of paramilitary units and, and outfitting them with hardware. But it's also about a kind of militaristic mindset the training, and also just the message they receive from political leaders that they're out there supposedly waging a war on drugs, a war on crime, a war on immigrants, a war on gangs, a war on terrorism. And this has led to this incredibly oppositional relationship between police and the public. Right. Now, um, a, a lot of uh, Officials, including the, um, the Obama administration, the de Blasio administration, I mean, they've called for, you know, building more trust between the police forces and, and the communities uh, they operate in. But you feel uh, that hasn't uh, really worked out as uh, as promoted. Uh, can you talk about why that is and where you would like to see things uh, go next? Well, 
Well, I think that's the central issue here right now is that we've been told for five years, don't worry, we're going to fix policing. We're going to give them some implicit bias training. We're going to have some police community encounter sessions. We're going to get them to uh, wear body cameras. We're going to create a civilian review board. And it has made absolutely no meaningful difference. The problem remains because the problem can't be fixed through those kinds of superficial procedural reforms. The problem is a, a massive problem of over-policing. We've unleashed police as the solution to every social problem under the sun, especially those involving poor and non-white communities. And that is the issue that is driving, I think, this outrage is the, the not just the, the occasional outrage of a killing, but the tens of millions of totally unnecessary low-level punitive interactions between police and the public. So the Policing and Social Justice Project that I coordinate has called for reducing the NYPD budget by a billion dollars over the next five years. And to get the police out of schools, out of the mental health business, out of the drug business, out of the sex work business, out of the gang suppression business, we need to reduce the burden of policing instead of imagining that we can make them friendlier and nicer. Mm. And, uh, uh, I mean, city council will be hashing out uh, New York City's annual budget in uh, in this month of June. Uh, what are the prospects for uh, uh, starting to defund the, uh, the NYPD uh, taking hold uh, here at, at the city council this month? Well, it's just outrageous that the mayor left the police department as basically the only city department with no cuts, that he has bent over backwards to embrace the sort of the most reactionary elements in city government and, and then call himself a progressive. The good news is, is that a really large collection of organizations and coalitions have come together around a defund the police message in a way that they never have before. A lot of groups that in the past embraced, you know, a little accountability measure, get the police to show you their business card when they harass you, you know, these <laughs> things are now showing much more clarity that the, the only way we're going to make progress is to get these people out of our lives in every way we possibly can. Mm. And, and I, think, uh, I think the budget yeah. committee is feeling the heat. I think the budget committee is feeling the heat. Uh, and I think we're going to see some cuts to the NYPD. But I encourage people to call Donovan Richards, the chair of the Public Safety Committee, and Danny Drum, the chair of the Finance Committee, and demand that they cut the police department and not the education department. Right. And, and I mean – the the kind of cuts you envision, uh, starting with two hundred million dollars this year. I mean, it, it could, among other things, it could preserve the summer youth uh, employment program, which uh, is facing uh, complete elimination this year, and, and was uh, slated to serve seventy five thousand young people. Can you talk about the trade off of eliminating that program to continue fully funding the NYPD? Sure. I mean. We can achieve a $200 million savings so easily just through attrition and some cuts to overtime. So, I mean, the cuts could go even deeper. 
And that would allow us to put back funding for all kinds of positive interventions. The irony here is that some politicians like Jumani Williams and others went along with expanding the NYPD a few years ago under Mark Viverito on the condition that they get summer jobs money. But what are they getting in the end? They're getting more police and no summer jobs. And those summer jobs are crucial to keeping the peace in the summer, to keeping young people, not just keeping them busy, but keeping them feeling like they're on a positive track, that something is gonna happen for them, that they have a stake in conformity, if you will. And so we're turning our backs on those young people when we should be doing exactly the opposite. All righty. Well, we'll have to leave it there, but that's a story we're going to definitely continue to follow in the month of, mo- of the month of June, uh, whether whether popular pressure can uh, finally force some cuts in the NYPD budget and redirect that money to some uh, more useful uh, purposes. Alex, thank you so much for joining us this evening. You're most welcome, John. All right. That's Alex Vitale there author of The End of Policing, an uh, excellent book to check out if you're interested in this subject. And you can also follow Alex on uh, Twitter. He's a regular presence there. All right, we'll be back with more after the break when we will be talking with uh, Jabari Brisport, a socialist, a Democratic socialist running for State Senate District 25 here in Brooklyn. He has a few thoughts on uh, police reform and a lot of other reforms we need in, in this state right now. That was A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. You're listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York City's progressive newspaper and website now in its 20th year of publishing. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. Before we jump into our second segment, I want to encourage everyone who can do so to give generously to WBAI during its spring fund drive and keep this one-of-a-kind community radio station on the air and beaming its 50,000-watt signal across the greater New York City area, and beyond. You can give by calling 516-620-3602 or by going straight to WBAI.org and pulling out the plastic. Again, that's 516-620-3602, 516-620-3602. Your support helps keep shows like this on the air, so thank you in advance for, for whatever you can give to WBAI at this time. And now for our second segment. As demands for transforming policing as we know it continue to echo in the streets, we will ultimately need elected officials on the inside of the system who are also committed to those ideals. 
Joining us now is Jabari Brisport. He's a Democratic Socialist running to represent State Senate District 25 in Albany. Uh, th- this district encompasses uh, Bed-Stuy, Prospect Heights, Clinton Hill, Fort Greene, and parts of Park Slope, Gowanus, Sunset Park, and Red Hook uh, in all neighborhoods uh, here in Brooklyn. The district's longtime incumbent, Velmanette Montgomery, is retiring. Jabari is currently locked in a wide-open three-way race to succeed Montgomery. He's currently leading by a wide margin in money raised in total number of donations from almost 3,000 donors, uh, giving an average of $37 each. And he has more than 600 volunteers working on his campaign. We currently have a feature piece on the campaign and, and the race for this uh, Senate district uh, at independent.org. It went up this afternoon. Jabari, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, John, for having me. I hope it's not too loud. I just I stepped aside from a rally um, to to come chat. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, before we get into talking about the race, just real quickly, can you paint a picture of where you are and uh, the the rally you're attending and, and what's going yeah, on out there? Um, I'm in the Grand Army Plaza right now. I'm hoping it stays quiet. There might be a little honking, and I'm far away from the crowds enough so they're not sharing. But it's a rally to uh, cancel rent during this crisis because people, you know, people cannot pay their rent. They've been losing their jobs, um, losing their income, and it's also a joint rally to uh, defund the police because we've been seeing what they've been doing, and they've been absolutely out of control this past weekend. The videos, footage that came out, the, the, what the things we've seen them doing this past weekend is absolutely unacceptable, and their toys need to be taken away. All right. Now, um, if you uh, win this seat in the, in the state Senate, you become the second Democratic Socialist elected to the state legislature, along with uh, Julia Salazar, who was elected uh, from a North Brooklyn district in 2018. Um, but in terms of what you would do in Albany around the issue of policing, I mean, one topic that's uh, uh, really moved to the forefront is uh, repealing state law uh, 50A, uh, which uh, – forbids the city from uh, revealing information about uh, uh, police officers accused of misconduct. I assume you support that repeal. um, uh, But also, what other um, ideas do you have uh, about what you could do from Albany to help the situation here in the city and across the state with over-policing? Absolutely. So 50A is a great starting point because we want to open up those records so we can, you know, um, get rid of the cops that are, you know, the most egregious offenders. But then beyond that, it's really about defunding and demilitarizing them to redirecting those funds into social workers and, you know, um, community oriented programs, social service programs. I mean, for example, we have a system right now where we have cops that show up to talk to the homeless um, on the subway, or it's cops that show up when somebody's overdosing, um, or you know, cops that show up in so many circumstances that they're not trained to be in, and that they shouldn't be the ones that should be the um, the first point of contact for people. So redirecting those into people that are more appropriate to show up in those circumstances, like social workers, is a great um, moving forward way to help demilitarize and also ultimately like have a more ah, holistic public health system, which will lead to a more holistic uh, public safety system. Right. Now, obviously, you're running uh, on a, a whole uh, set of issues beyond uh, policing. What what are some of the other key things that are driving your campaign in terms of issues so that, uh, that your constituents mm-hmm. uh, would want to have addressed? 
Yeah, of course, of course, of course. So it's about universal demands for every 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 single person in New York, right? It's about making sure we have a single payer healthcare system in New York, making sure everyone can see a doctor. Not just because it's a pandemic, but because everyone should be able to see a doctor when they're sick. It's about a homes guarantee because no one should be worrying about having a roof over their head. Um, again, not just because it's a pandemic, but because you know how that's housing is a human right and it's a basic human need that we should be able to fulfill and that we can fulfill with all the resources that we have right now. It's about fully funding our education system, switching over to a Green New Deal, and um, rapidly decarcerating uh, New York. Uh, it's an it's a, it's expansive platform, but luckily it's, it's not just me um, getting elected. It's, it's a whole slate of socialists that are going to be working together. Right. And uh, you're running uh, – while you're running this campaign, you're also working as a public school teacher, uh, teaching middle, yeah. middle schoolers at uh, Medgar Evers uh, Prep in Crown Heights and, and some of your other slate members – I mean, there's a there's a, a nurse, there's a foreclosure counselor, there's a tenant uh, organizer. Uh, what what does it mean to have uh, working class candidates running for these offices financed by uh, other working class people with small donations? Yeah, thank you. I mean, like, I'm happy you read off our our um our resumes because it really does feel sometimes like we're the socialist Power Rangers. You know, we have extreme. Uh, um, extremely working class people who are of their communities that are not your typical people that uh, came up through like typical stereotypical means or lawyers or you know, business people that are so commonly elected to um, office, but people that truly like live and suffer like the people in our communities every single day that can speak to the, the crisis that we're in firsthand um, who see, you know, what it means like when people are getting evicted. Um, left and right in your district or when kids can't get an education or when our hospitals are underfunded. It, it means something to us, not just in theory, but it's a lived experience. Right. And in and, and your race, uh, it presents a pretty stark contrast. Uh, your main opponent uh, is a is a an assembly woman who's looking uh, to move up the ladder to state Senate assembly uh, member Tremaine Wright. Um, and, and and she has uh, endorsements from about two dozen elected officials, many of them uh, in Brooklyn, and endorsements mm-hmm. from uh, several labor unions. And uh, um, but meanwhile, I mean, you're running much more of the, sort of the outsider uh, campaign. Uh, can you talk about this uh, sort of uh, I guess clash of uh, competing uh, political visions and, and and organizing methods and what it means? Yeah, I mean, it just shows you goes to show you how. Um, Oftentimes, these political machines um, are not working the best interests of the people that live in their communities. I mean, let's just speak about my state Senate district for a little bit. Um, this district sees around 2,000 evictions a year. It's a rapidly gentrifying district. Um, addictions are a massive tool of gentrification. And on the one hand, you have me, the socialist, who wants to pass um, good cause eviction and you know stem the, the bleeding of, of black and brown people from this neighborhood. And on the other hand, you have Tremaine Wright, who um, always you know signs with landlords, does not sign with working people, and actually you know pushes for a bill that would speed up evictions inside the district. And that's who the, the you know the establishment has gotten behind the Brooklyn machine has gotten behind um, because of her ties to other politicians already. And um, it couldn't be clearer like who the people have chosen. I mean, I have already. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, we're going to have to leave it uh, there for now. But uh, Jabari Brisport, Democratic Socialist running for State Senate District 25 in Brooklyn, thank you for joining us this evening on the WBAI Evening News. Of course, John. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Uh, So we will be uh, following more of these races uh, before the June 23rd primary here in in New York City. And uh, anyway, we're going to have to leave it there. We'll be back same time next week. Also excited to let people know we are working on a June print edition, which will be hitting the streets in about 10 days. 
And I want to thank uh, for the show tonight. Uh, thank uh, Amo Gargarian and Renee Feltz for their help in, in making the show happen. And last but not least, please, if you're able to, give generously to WBAI. The phone number is 516-620-3602. That's 516-620-3602. Or you can go to WBAI.org and give there. Thank you, everybody. We'll be back same time next week. We've been stuck inside our homes while our everyday heroes have been working overtime for New York to reopen and stay open. We all need to do our part and show that we care. Look, man, I wear a mask to protect you. You wear a mask to protect me. Let's all wear a mask to stop the spread of coronavirus and save lives. When we show up in the mask, we're showing up for each other. Show your love for New York because New York loves you. Okay, this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was the WBAI Evening News, heard daily at 6 p.m. Stay tuned for Counterspin coming up, um, followed by an expanded edition of uh, Building Bridges with Ken Nash and Mimi Rosenberg. And of course, before then, you know, We go out to our windows to clap for those essential workers out there who keep doing the job regardless of social distancing. And, um, yeah, you should know this by now. 